You're listening to episode 96 of the Mentoring Developers Podcast. Welcome. Welcome to Mentoring Developers, the podcast for new and aspiring software developers, where we discuss your struggles, anxieties, and career choices. And now, here's your host, Arsalan Ahmed. In this episode of Mentoring Developers, I'll be talking to Stan Chapman. Stan is a technical program manager at Microsoft. I have known him personally, and he is driven, he's goal-oriented, and he's a good man to have on your side if you're working on a large technical project. But other than that, he is a subject matter expert in Agile and Scrum. He's a certified Agile Scrum Master. He's a software developer, he's a trainer, and he's an all-around good guy to have around. And it's perfect for us to have to talk to him, to be able to talk to him about mentorship, about his own background, so we can learn from his experiences. And hopefully all of you out there will benefit greatly from his experience. And I can't wait to share this interview with you, so let's get right into it. Hi, welcome once again to Mentoring Developers. I'm your host, Arsalan, and today I have a very special guest, Stan Chapman. Stan is a good friend of mine, and he will tell you what it's like to work at Microsoft. Not just work at Microsoft, but work at Microsoft as a principal program manager and do some great things. He just joined Microsoft, and I think I want to know what it was like to go through the door into Microsoft and what it's like being there and how it compares. So we're going to talk, talk about all that and we're going to talk about how he got started. So welcome, Stan. Stan, how are you? All right. Thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate it. I'm glad to, glad to be here. I'm so happy that we could make this happen because, as you know, that we have talked in the past when you are not at Microsoft. And so I don't know a whole lot of people who have gone from... I know a few people, but not so many people who have actually made the transition into Microsoft in the service delivery kind of space. Okay. So tell me a little bit about what you do there and what attracted you to Microsoft. Sure. So I'm what's called a um, principal program manager at Microsoft. And um, my role has an interesting sort of um, AKA to it. It's also called a TPM or technical program manager. I'm in what's known as the CSC group within Microsoft commercial software engineering. And one of the things we, we do or what we basically do is we are like an engineering um, group within Microsoft that offers services to fortune 100 companies in the Azure and cloud space. But the kicker here, and you got to listen closely, is that our services are offered for free. But we do like a very small focused task of someone say backlog or their journey map. We do it very well, but we kind of show the art of possible. And we're specifically looking for very, how can I put it, challenging things that uh, maybe a lot of other management consulting companies don't do. They may want some of the, 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 the grind of work. We're looking for very, like some of the most delicious things you can do with the cloud. And we take a slice off where we may take 
something that's been challenging a company for years, we may make a very focused microservice of just the shipping component, show our company how um, some of the best practices are, how engineering fundamentals work, how the cloud works, et cetera. Um, me as a TPM, I act as a product in the product owner role to some degree, but there are times when I can um, actually be um, more of a scrum master where we do sort of that end to end. We, we create a scenario called code web, where we're not only doing it for the client, but the client has got to bring a development team with us where we code with them. And that's some of the criteria in order for us to take on an engagement. So the, it's like Microsoft is here, the client is there, and we're coding together on a, on a particular um, challenging issue, and we're looking to you know, get a whiz-bang outcome from that scenario. And like I said, my, my, I'm, as, as a TPM, a technical program manager, you do a little bit of both, little product owner. You got to get your hands wet a bit with, with the dev team, and you're all sort of there. But the important part is it's a cold with engagement. So. Wow. That's, that's a lot. Uh, and I'm thinking, did you, did you say it's a free service? Did I hear that right? That is correct. And a lot of people <laughs> that even the clients and even internally, we sort of struggle with what that means. And we've come up with a couple of sort of jokes around that. We say we're free, but we're not cheap. And you can take that <laughs> however what that means. But yes, it is a, it's, a, it's a free service. But the thing is, that means that our time is very valuable and we look for very specific engagements that's going to add value to the client. What we don't want to do is just sort of um, go work with a client. The client puts us in a corner and says, go create a bunch of Power BI reports and no one's paying attention to us. We're just sort of, we, we don't want to be an add-on or staff org to a client. We really want to add very strategic, important value to that, to that client. So that's where we're a little bit unique. Um, the service is free, um, but it's very strategic in nature. Right. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of business value uh, that Microsoft drives out of that as well. Uh, it's a free service. It's, it's great. So if someone's out there and they're looking for a little bit of help, maybe they can reach out to you guys. That's amazing. So, uh, for people out there, and certainly myself included, I don't really know the distinction between the different types of roles I see. Program manager, your profile on LinkedIn says principal program manager, but you said technical program manager. Then right. I think there are other designations as well, and I'm really not sure how to untangle all of that. Do you, do you have uh, a way for to help to help us out? Yeah, I'll try to give some um, some insight into how that what what that means and within Microsoft how 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 that how that, how that kind of works. So as there's it's a flat structure, but as you move up from say uh, a principal versus a senior versus a partner, what changes is the expectation of the level of impact that you have and how does the impact work? Like, for instance, as uh, someone, say, at the principal level, they're expected to impact individuals, meaning you need to show tangible proof that 
something that you've done for a time frame has added value to one or more individuals. And then there's groups, meaning outside of, say, like our CSD group, say there's a PMO group or an Azure Cloud group, um, you would be expected to show that you've done something that's added value. So it, as you as you go up the chain, it's like a circle of impact in, circle er in certain areas that you're expected to be able to leverage and impact. Um, and that works in a, such a way that not only um, is it things that you are closely aligned with, it's sort of outside of your bubble or even third-party places where it's like, do, did you have an impact? Were you able to leverage something outside of, say, Microsoft that now is a part of Microsoft, et cetera? And as you go up the food chain or the hierarchy, I should say, um, the expectations are a little bit higher that your impact will be a little bit heavier. So, it's, so one of the things I want to point out about that structure is they have different, if you were to go look, go to like um, Microsoft's job site, you would see individual contributor or whatever. That's a little misleading because even though a title may say individual contributor, you are expected to be managing sort of what your impact would be. Now they do have um, different levels where you are actually managing people, but it's never going to be in the realm of hundreds of people. Mm -hmm. If you're, uh, they, they, we, they have a sort of some terminology called an M1, an M2, or M3 manager. An M1 manager is someone who's probably going to be managing, you know, um, anywhere from three to 10 people. The M2 is going to have multiple M1 managers reporting to them. Um, so they're going to be managing those, and M3 is going to be a little bit higher. But it is relatively flat, and you're going to see a lot of roles that say individual contributor, but it's a little misleading. Mm -hmm. It's not like someone who's just going to be going to a project, and mm -hmm. that's all they're going to do. It's a little, <laughs> it's a little different than that. So right. that I think I, I will conclude that it is indeed complicated. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, for people who are interested in working at Microsoft, um, they can check out the jobs. The jobs uh, will be posted on the Microsoft Careers website, I'm sure. Correct. And uh, if they want to get more information about what it's like to work at Microsoft, well, they should listen to this episode, but also they can, they can sure reach out to you. <laughs> so uh, let's take you back to the time when, when you were younger and you're just getting started. Right. I always want to know, and this is one of the things we talk about in this pat podcast, is to know why you got into this industry. What attracted you? At what age did you start? What was your trigger? Wow, that's a great question, Arsalan. So I'm going to try to answer it as best I can and give my uh, my journey, and I hope it can be of value to the people who are listening out there. So I would probably say I, I learned that I had a passion for technology early on, um, back when I was a little young, young tyke, eight years old, et cetera. And I used to play with, and I'm sort of dating myself here. They had something called the TI, the TI, um, I mean, uh, calculators, but they also had these Timex Sinclair Mylar computers. And that's when the Commodore um, Vic, the, the Commodore VIC computers, the Commodore 64. And I would just make games and applications back then. This was 
you know, eons ago, but I can see that passion that was there. And then they, at the time, the, the, the computer software industry started to evolve. But back when I started, you had your basics, your Fortran's, et cetera. And then um, probably when I was more into high school or teens, you saw the, the, the C, Carnegie and Ritchie's C, the Bell Labs took up C, then you started into the small talk with the object-oriented um, programming languages. They started to evolve. So I kind of knew at a young age I really wanted to be in technology, but I didn't know necessarily where. Um, when, I, when I actually started college, I had enrolled as an electrical engineer. Then after three years, I decided to switch over to um, purely computer science. And at the time, what's so funny is my mom was just like, she almost had a heart attack. It was a big deal because back then, the role of a computer scientist was just looked at someone who would be handing out green papers to an accountant <laughs> in the accounting group. That was the perception of that. She's like, why are you throwing your life away? You're just going to be given <laughs> green bar paper to the to the accountant, et cetera. But she got over that. And, you know, I went on and actually got my master's degree in computer science um, back in that time frame. And one of my first jobs when I started working, um, the, some of the best advice I ever got was from a guy who told me, don't be, learn, learn the business of what you're doing. Don't be so technical that you don't understand your business. He's like, it doesn't matter how young you are. Don't wait until you get into a management position to understand the business. The advice was basically from day one out of college, you need to understand some function of the business know it very well and this is going to give you a better understanding to go a long way and one of the things that the company that i was working for that they actually did is they didn't let you just kind of go into office and bang on computer they actually sent you out into the manufacturing environments for the first six months of your career where you would rotate the night shift the day shift and the evening shift to kind of learn what, wow. uh, what the workers were doing to get a better understanding. So it wasn't just sort of theoretical. You actually were out there sort of learning the job. So when you were tasked to write some code or do something, you understood it from a more um, emotional level. So that was some of the best advice and best training that I got at an early age was understanding that. And I kind of took that further as I started getting more jobs and more opportunities was to understand your business, be able to articulate business outcomes as opposed to just sort of show or demonstrate your technical prowess. And as technicians, we tend to take a lot of pride, which we should, in our technical prowess around a technology, how well we've mastered it, what it can do. But you really need to start thinking of the business outcomes and be able to articulate that to show clients and your end users the value of what you're doing and the impact it'll have on their lives. So this is, yeah, this is great. So now how did you manage to stay on this path? Now, usually what happens is someone discovers a job. They just happen to, in, in your case, you actually wanted to stay in computer science because you were not only doing it since you were younger, but also you, you got into college, then you got a master's degree, then you got the job. Did it at, did at any time you, you felt this is, this is too much. Now I need to do something else. 
and maybe there's other things for me to do as well, or were you always just so convinced that you have picked the right field? Well, that's a that's an excellent question because I can just honestly say there were times in my journey that I did consider other things. And what was driving that wasn't always me. It was sort of the direction of the industry too. I mean, I think I got frustrated with sort of um, IT. Well, it kept going into these cyclical patterns of let's be distributed. No, let's, you know, let's be centralized. Let's be distributed. It was a lot of cycles of that, I would say, for a 10 to 20 year field that was frustrating to me. And I did think about other things I wanted, you know, potentially wanted wanted to do outside of IT. But um, as those cyclical patterns start to emerge or evolve, I think the technology along with it and what it how it could benefit um, your, the, the clients and business, it sort of made me want to stay to say, wow, I could actually make an impact, even though the technology around me is going in all these different places. I still think I can add some value. So let me let me hang in there, understand it, try to focus on some of the things that I like and I want to do and see the impact that I can have on my um, clients and, and end users. Yeah, this is great. And this happens to everybody. It happened to me when I was... Uh... When I was struggling, and everybody struggles in their life at some, at one way or another, and I have other things that I could do, even though this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to do programming since I was a small kid, and I was lucky that I got to do it. But, but uh, it's important to stay put, and this is how you progress. You are where you are because you didn't give up, and that's right. um, that's an important lesson for young people to to have because i see a lot of people who would do something for a couple of years and then they will completely switch over to a different career and start over again which is exciting and stimulating but then you start at the bottom again so it doesn't yeah. let you go very far or have a, a larger impact than you could have otherwise and one of the things that we talk about on this podcast is is mentorship what is what is it like to start you know, when you were starting, you said you went to the factory and you had to work there, which is fantastic because a uh, manufacturing type of setting has apprenticeship built in because you're dealing with well-known processes and as a new person, you wouldn't necessarily know them. You, you're not inventing your thing. You're you're a part of a machine. So, So then I would expect that you would have had that, you know, apprenticeship, mentorship, uh, kind of relationship, apprentice mentor type kind of relationship, and you probably would 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 be eased into the work. That is my expectation. But did right. you experience that? Am I getting the sense correctly? Where you didn't have the the initial issues that some of us have faced, where we're thrown into the deep end, and there's not a lot of help coming, and it's on you if you want to swim or sink. And, you know, there's a lot of stress that comes along with starting a new job, especially in technology as your first job for the first couple of years. What was your experience? Yeah, I think I had a similar experience. And it's, it's, it's interesting that that you bring up the sort of the concept of mentoring. Because I'm in a, right now I, I, I'm doing 
several mentor programs as a as a IT mentor. And one of the questions that they asked, very similar to your question, is go back and reflect upon some of the mentors that you had. And I think a lot of people want to look at a formal mentoring type program that they did or didn't have. And a lot of people say, I didn't have a mentor. And I said, I bet you you did. You just didn't realize you had one. And I think when I started reflecting on sort of my life and my business career, I had mentors, but I didn't realize they were mentors until later on. For instance, um, I, I, I talked about the one gentleman who kind of focused on um, me to sort of think about the business. He wasn't a technical person. He was probably more of a business manager, that type of person. But we stayed in touch for a long while. And he helped mentor me, not only in IT, but sort of outside, like my confidence, my, my spiritual growth. He was mentoring me outside of just IT because we stayed in touch. I mean, um, probably five years ago, I met that guy. Someone had told me, well, let me step back. Someone had told me he passed. This was before Facebook and all these places when you sort of heard it, you just believed this. I was pretty sad. And I happened to be walking down the strip in Las Vegas and saw him and almost had a heart attack. I went and hugged <laughs> him. We were so happy. And he actually was a pastor of a of a one of the, the, the new up and coming mega churches out in the Reno area. So of course I went there, here is Thurman. But he mentored me in a different way. It wasn't just IT, even though he still sort of did IT, he mentored me in a different way. But then I did have people who were in my field and who actually mentored me more in the traditional way, kind of saying, learn, you know, some, 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 or do you want to be a, a software guy, uh, infrastructure person, make, understand what that is. But then within the areas of IT, still know some of the fundamentals of the other pieces. If you call yourself an application guy, that's great, but understand some security or whatever to kind of keep your architectural skills sharp. So that person sort of was my architectural mentor, meaning we would throw off ideas. Maybe we didn't meet every day or even formal, just maybe every three months, we would just talk about what's going on in IT. You need somebody to bounce high-level concepts concepts off of, and who's in your safe zone. It's not necessarily going to, you know, say, you don't know nothing. You should know X, but you don't. Someone you can lay it out and someone who can sort of say, you need to look into technology X, learn a little bit better. Let's have a conversation in a month, et cetera. And I had several of those types of sort of mentors to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing you have to be able to do, you have to put yourself in a position to be mentored. In order to be ever mm. um, become a mentor, you have to be an effective mentee, meaning that you listen, that you formulate questions, you take um, you stewardship of someone's time so that when they are engaged with you, mm -hmm. you're asking questions to get the best out of the particular time frame that you have with them. Yeah, that's good advice. You have to be a good mentee if you want to find a good mentor because people's times are valuable, they have families, and they have jobs, and if they are taking that time out to spend with you, even if it's just a few minutes, you want to respect that. So if they feel that their time is being respected and valued, and it's having an effect, then it would motivate them to help you more. So that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So 
In terms of new people that you must hire, new developers, or right. maybe people who are just joining a company and, and you know, initially there's a lot of pressure because you want to impress people. You want to make sure people think you're valuable. At the same time, you have self-doubts about your own ability, which is the imposter syndrome that all of us, or most of us suffer from. So if someone like you was to be the manager of right. new people coming in, how would you handle that? I'm, I'm asking this question because we have listeners who have responsibility of managing other people or hiring other people. And I think as an industry, we are deficient in tools and techniques to effectively do this mentoring thing. So I, I was wondering if you had any ideas on how you'd go about it. Yeah, I've got an interesting technique that I use to kind of look at other people or to help m to help myself get better in evaluating um, other individuals as potential candidates for Microsoft or whatever the endeavor is. And I, I actually do, even though it's, it's out in the industry, it's a buzzword, but that growth mindset is important. Um, and what I mean by that is someone who has the capacity to learn and grow and they're not in a state of like a fixed mindset where they think they know everything and it's just, they just want a task to do and not see themselves as being able to grow and learn. So when you, uh, when you talk to, to um, individuals looking to, you know, become a, you know, a programmer or a cloud architect or whatever, you want to start looking, what's the growth? Have, have they ever failed before um, in the, in the past? And what did they learn from it? Yeah. Um, how would they improve something? It's like a lot of the questions, if it, what's weird is if you, you look at it, just a lot of the questions now within, with COVID and the pandemic would be, I, I'm just throwing out there, just the just way I would be like, okay, you, you, you own PowerPoint or you own some technology. Now that the pandemic has hit, how would you improve that? What would be some of the things? And just kind of get their thought process as to something that's um, uh, a condition that happens or an event that's very, you know, unpredictable and how would they react to it? Because a lot of people are sort of, they see the lens, they see the, see the world through their lens and how they, how they are, and they don't see the growth that they can have internally and then the impact they can have on, um, on companies, on others, et cetera, to, to, to realize that. So what to sort of to sort of wrap that up, it really is about that growth mindset, the ability to to want to experiment, to understand that you're still in a learning pattern, mm -hmm. and that, that that's how you that's how you move forward and become a better um, person, individual, or whatever you want to be. Yep, there's always more to learn. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Oh, I had to sneeze. <laughs> so that's great because we have to learn and we have to grow. And that's a lesson that anybody out there can learn, whether you are starting out or you are experienced and you've been around for a while. If you are coasting, 
you're declining. So you yep. want to constantly grow your grow yourself and you'll grow professionally, personally, and it'll be more fulfilling and probably make more money as well as a result of that. Uh, so uh, in terms of just wrapping it up, I think this has been a great conversation, but I think there's some people out there are probably thinking, yeah, I would love to work, work in Microsoft. I don't know if I can, if I can do that. I don't know if they like me. I didn't go to Harvard and I didn't go to MIT and you know, just I, I'm in the South, I'm in the Midwest, I'm overseas. So any ideas how someone could successfully apply at Microsoft and, and work there? Cause I'm sure there are a lot of people that would love that. Awesome. Well, that's a, that's a great question. I think, one of the things I would recommend to somebody would be to go on the internet and do a search on my, on, on, on um, interviewing at Microsoft, learn all you can, and then throw it out the window because that's not how the interview process went. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, reason I, the reason I say that is that Microsoft is evolving. One of the things with the new CEO over the past years is that a lot of the, um, a, a, a lot, the, the, the image and reputation that Microsoft had in the past was valid. And I think they know it was valid. So a lot of the things you may see out on the internet about Microsoft is pretty much evolved to the point where it's not that. Really, when you interview with Microsoft, you're gonna have to, you, you're really gonna have to know yourself, know what's on your resume and know how it progressed over time and what did that mean? How did that, um, how did that evolve? So you're going to know yourself. It's almost to the point where it's like you, if you were to put yourself into the shoes of interviewing yourself, say two years ago, four years ago, six years ago, how would you look at yourself? Where have you grown? Where where have you gotten better at? Did you where have you failed? It's really more of a behavioral type of interview by design and a lot of the there are i mean there are technical questions that that's always there but i think more being more of a cultural cultural fit until that growth mindset is really is what going to endear you to being a part of the microsoft culture as opposed to just knowing how to program and c-sharp or being a, a logic mm -hmm. app expert that's gonna <laughs> matter but it's gonna be being able to, to to demonstrate that you have a growth mindset and that you would be a cultural fit for Microsoft. So my advice to anybody who's interested would be to understand, and there's a lot of documentation, understand the Microsoft culture and mindset mm -hmm. uh, that's there and evaluate how you would fit in or what things can you contribute already to be able to fit into that Microsoft culture. This is great. So no more trick questions, logic questions. Right. <laughs> you still do the whiteboards, right? Yeah, they still do the whiteboards, but you don't get any more or the to make a alarm clock for a blind baby or something like that. <laughs> that, that, that that's not as um, impactful. And, and it's like a lot of those questions were more to make the interviewer seem more empowered. And now what, mm. what's trying, what they're, what uh, and it's just not Microsoft. It's it's across the board right. with a lot of tech companies trying to empower the interviewee to kind of show what they bring to the table and how they can make an impact, as opposed to someone 
sort of flexing their muscles, asking these questions and stumping people with these gotcha technical questions that really the problem with those questions is that there was never a causation or correlation between the, between answering those types of questions and your performance, your future performance at the job. They understood that most places understand that now that those questions just weren't quite frankly, good questions about (laughs) good candidates for for Mm. particular jobs. Awesome. So, we have Stan Chapman, principal or technical program manager at Microsoft with us. And we're so happy that we could get him on the show. He's a good friend of mine and he's a good person to know. So if you want to know him, you can find him on LinkedIn, but also you can find him at uh, at the Microsoft website. So where, where else can people find you, Stan? So we got the the Microsoft website. We got um, LinkedIn. Um, I think you got my email address. I used to blog a lot. I haven't anymore. And if I were to give you that, they probably would be stale or get <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Well, I think the LinkedIn is a good place to find me right now. Awesome. So if you want to know what his LinkedIn address is, or if you want to send him a message, or if you want an ask question, to him or somebody else at Microsoft or any of the previous guests that we have had, or if you want to ask me a question because you don't know something or technology, you're not sure, you're making a choice in your career, you're not really sure which path to take. So feel free to email me at us at mentoringdevelopers.com. The email address is right on the screen. Also, all the show notes, all the links, and uh, hopefully more interesting material as well as the link to Spotify, to link to iTunes, Google Podcasts, and all the places that we are hosted. All of them will be on the link that's on your screen, which is going to be mentoringdevelopers.com slash episode 96, because this is episode 96. And uh, that's it. You just follow me, look into the description, and make sure to answer Ask me, we don't answer questions, ask me questions and we'll try to get you the answers. Also subscribe, all that good stuff and let other people know, spread the knowledge. I think uh, we all can spread this, this wave of empathy that we are trying to start over here because we are a community that is actually big but also very small and we have had women and minorities and and children on this show, frankly, and they're all trying to make it in this world. Some are having difficulty and some are not. And in the past, we have heard from a lot of people that have watched these shows or listened to these shows and that have affected them and actually helped them get jobs. So spread this uh, this video as much as you can. Uh, thank you again, Stan, for giving us your time. Appreciate it. And hopefully we'll stay in touch. Yep. Yes, sir. It was nice talking to you. All right. Talking to everybody. Bye, everybody. For show notes and transcripts, visit us at mentoringdevelopers.com.